today we are going to discuss how to be an ally in the workplace. We've talked about how diversity, equity and inclusivity in organizational culture and policies and um, practices and norms in the organization is something that is important in order to ensure that um, all people can do their best work and thrive in their organizations and in their professional settings. So here, um, allyship is something that becomes very important in order to ensure that people who come from marginalized backgrounds or people who have been um, underrepresented or people who have historically, who have identities um, which are associated with histories of oppression and generational subjugation. These are people who need a certain push and who need to feel like there is a support system at work um, that has their back in order to be able to perform well professionally. Here is where allyship becomes important. And a first step towards becoming an ally and not simply a bystander at work is to recognize that your privilege has power. What do we mean by privilege? You do not have to be a cis upper caste man in the Indian society or a cis white male in um, a Western context to be considered someone who has privilege. Your privilege could be by virtue of your class background. You could be a woman, but someone who's coming from an upper class, who's had university education, is capable of communicating fluently in English and or comes from a um, majority ethnic community in a certain setting. So there are multiple identities that we have and all of these overlap in terms of uh, when it comes to determining how much privilege we have in a particular context. And it's important for us to recognize this whenever we are approaching conversations in the workplace or whenever we are looking inward and considering the kind of impact that our behavior or our support of other people in the workplace can have on the organizational culture as a whole and approaching allyship with an understanding of what privilege we hold in the context that we're particularly that we are in at that point in time is important. So that is the first step. And then comes, um, the, of course, we also need to understand what we mean by being an ally. When we talk about being an ally, we talk about being there for those communities in your professional setup that are marginalized because they may be a numeric minority, because they may come from a community that has historically been oppressed, because they do not have the same privilege as you do in terms of their ability to communicate with others, maybe because they are neurodiverse, maybe because they are not as fluent in the um, English language as you are, because they haven't had the same kind of education that, that you have. That could be because of their class background, because um, of their gender, multiple things. So being an ally means being there as an active supporter for these individuals. And it's a very fine line that you have to walk between being an active supporter and being an advocate for this individual and uh, being someone who sees themselves in the light of a savior. So it's important to not think of ourselves as saviors, to not think of being an ally as being a savior. 
So it's important to recognize that if you come from a position of privilege, if you are a man, it's likely that you've always had um, multiple opportunities to speak, to put your narrative out there. So it's important to also not center attention to yourself by trying to speak on behalf of someone else. As an ally, it's important for you to play the role of a faithful sidekick. This is an article that I read, I think, on Medium. I don't remember who the author of this article was or what this article was called. I read this sometime back and it was a really... It came across as really interesting to me because it drew an interesting an analogy. So um, the person that you're being an ally to or the group that you're being an ally to, that is the superhero and you are the faithful sidekick that's always there to help the hero succeed in their goals. And I think that's an interesting analogy uh, to keep in mind when you're thinking about allyship. So not to make yourself the superhero or the main character where you draw attention away from them and start talking about their problems as if you have a better idea about what they're facing and they're experiencing and therefore would be able to defend themselves and save themselves and in your absence they wouldn't have been able to do it. So that is an important balance that needs to be kept in mind. Um, the larger discussion that we are having right now and the larger reason why allyship is something that's being talked about so often of late is, of course, because, again, of the growing recognition of the importance of having a diverse and equitable culture at work, having policies that are inclusive and having policies that enable people coming from different cultural backgrounds to be the most efficient and productive, to be the most creative at work and to thrive. So that is the reason why allyship is something that's been so widely discussed of late. Um, companies who are discussing allyship and who want to be, or even if we're not talking about this at a larger macro organizational level, but even if we're talking about it as um, at an individual interpersonal level, if we want to be better allies, then we really need to assess how our organization's setup currently is like? What is the setup currently like? If you're someone who is in a leadership position in an organization, the first step towards creating an organization which makes everyone feel included towards creating an organization where you know that you are in a position to actually reap the benefits of innovative ideas that people are um, contributing to the organization because they feel safe, because all of them feel accommodated and heard in the organization. The first step in that direction towards creating that inclusive organization is to ensure that the people that you currently have within your office or your workplace or your company are feeling included, are feeling supported to put their best foot forward, to be their best selves at work, to be the most efficient at work. So it's important for you to be open to constructive criticism. You cannot start from a position of defense where you already believe that you know what needs to be done in order to bring about changes collection of data becomes extremely important here. So this can be something, uh, this is something that doesn't have to be uh, 
very uh, this is not something that requires a lot of technical prowess for you to carry out or very advanced software for you to carry out it can be something very simple such as just collection of top concerns in your company that people have regarding the eni efforts through surveys that you conduct across the company or across your workplace so these company-wide surveys would actively work to address any issues raised that would be the next step so and it's even better if you can actually get in touch with individuals and then you can just ask them this question uh, you can simply ask okay what do you think are two changes that can be made at work which would make it easier for you to do a good job so you need to have a very clear idea of where your organization currently is at to be able to take effective actionable steps towards the direction of creating a more inclusive organization so the first thing that you need to do is to make sure that your house is in order it's only after that that you can think of things like oh we do not have sufficient representation of xyz community we do not have sufficient women in positions of leadership at work we do not have enough representation from the lgbtqi community i don't think we are disabled friendly within the organization these are questions that you can address once you have a good assessment of where you currently are at it's only after that that you can um you know move ahead in the direction of um, better like more inclusivity so uh, this is something we had discussed earlier where we talked about um bias existing uh, in different steps of an employee's life circle cycle and bias is something that creeps up in every process uh, so even when you're recruiting uh there is the, there is inherent bias that exists and that uh, manifests in the kind of job descriptions that you craft in the way you draft your company's philosophy or vision statement so uh, again that data of how women do not feel very sure about applying to a company if they are not meeting all of their requirements something very simple that can be done in order to cast your uh, net wider is of course consciously ensure that you're going out of your homogenous network and actively trying to reach out to candidates who are diverse candidates who come from underrepresented communities so you're not just passively recruiting by putting up a job description somewhere but you have people who are actively reaching out or digging into their networks to find people who they think would be suitable and who would also and who also come from you know, diverse backgrounds so this is not not simply to tick off that diversity quota uh from a list of requirements that you've set up for yourself to meet diversity requirements it's not just because of that but it's also to uh you know it's also based on the acknowledgement that simply uh like the job advert alone might not be enough to attract these candidates of course seeking actively seeking out candidates is simply not enough because candidates who are potentially uh deciding if they want to apply to your organization would also 
make an assessment of what your organization's culture currently is like. They would make an assessment of whether this is a role that I would be suitable for at all. So this goes back to the discussion of how you can draft a policy statement and make sure that your culture is one which is not colorblind, which is not trying to be gender blind or gender neutral, but is one which is actually multicultural in a sense. And so you and when you're talking about uh, simple things like job adverts, it can always come with uh, it can always be um, a, a company with encouragement uh, for, you know, it can always be followed with something that encourages applicants to send in their application and um, send in a form applying to the role, even if they don't feel extremely confident about it. So you say something like, we'd love to hear from you, even if you don't meet 100% of the requirements, right? Even if a simple nudge like that, and research has shown that nudges like that actually do help employees or do um, encourage potential candidates to apply if they were considering not applying, that is something which is um, one simple step that goes in the direction of ensuring that you have a more diverse pool of candidates and that you're doing something to address the pipeline problem. So there is a um, book that I read which was extremely helpful and this is something that I find myself going back to now and then in order to understand how one can actually be a better ally at work and this is an author whose new newsletter also i subscribe to her name's karen kathleen and she wrote a book called the better allies approach to hiring and um here's where she talks about something she experienced when she was interviewing for a technical role fresh out of university as a fresh graduate and she was interviewing along with another um, male uh, graduate who also had similar qualifications as she did because both of them were fresh out of university and they were applying to this technical position and both of them were being interviewed simultaneously. She witnessed gender bias in the interviewing process because the questions were not very structured and were qualitatively very different. So the questions that her, um, the, that the male candidate got asked were evidently a lot more technical and dealt with the more uh, critical aspects of the role, the more technical or so to say co technically complicated aspects of the role, while the questions that were thrown at her were uh, relatively less technical and it uh, made her feel like they were lowering the bar for her. And this made her feel like this is someone who is clearly judging me on the basis of my gender. I don't know if this is happening consciously. I don't know if this is happening subconsciously, but they are throwing softballs at me because they do not think I would be in a position to be able to tackle the tougher questions. So although she got offered that role after the interview, this is not a role that she did accept because she felt like this is something that's going to impact the kind of uh, responsibilities and tasks that she'd be responsible for even after she takes on this role, this particular technical role. So that kind of bias can be avoided by ensuring that you have structured interviews, that you have the same set of questions that you're asking different um, candidates. And this is something that you, uh, the sequence of which is also something that you need to keep in mind and maintain, regardless of the gender of the candidate, regardless of the ethnic background or religion of the candidate. So 
uh, this was I th uh, this was an interesting thing that I um, thought can be kept in mind when you are um, hiring candidates. And uh, besides that, another important thing that needs to be kept in mind is if you are trying to build an organization that is more diverse, you also need to hire for diversity. So if you're trying to build a more inclusive workspace, of course, the first thing to keep in mind is that your house is in order, that you're trying to get people into this setup. You need to ensure that this is a place where you are already consciously making efforts to correct problems that you have uh, precisely identified on the basis of reliable data. Now, then coming to building a more inclusive environment, it really makes sense to stop allowing folks in your company who would work against this goal of diversity and inclusion. So this is uh, something that uh, you have to keep in mind. Even when you are interviewing people, it's not enough to just interview them uh, to uh, assess whether or not they would be able to meet the um, criteria required for success in that specific role that they are being hired for. But you also need to ensure that you're not getting people who are bigoted, you're not getting people who are sexist, you're not getting people who are, I don't know, communalist into your organization. That is important. So you ask them questions like, how really have you contributed to creation of an inclusive workplace culture or community in your previous organization? Ensure that the things that they say, or like cross-check with references that you have, or um, you can ask them about their previous allyship experiences at their uh, previous place of work. Tell me about an instance where you had been someone's ally at work. What do you understand by allyship? And um, things like that, like what have they personally, how have they personally been invested in the cause of furthering diversity in the workplace that they were at previously? And also what ideas do they have to ensure, what do they think they can do at their personal level to diversify their team, right? Or rather, what are the certain what are certain red flags when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusivity considerations according to them? Ask them to flag those. See if they have that kind of acumen to understand what it means to create a more uh, inclusive workplace, uh, workplace to behave in a manner that does not make other people feel left out. And, you know, they should have the ability to foster that sense of belongingness in workplace. At so this is something that we're talking about at a more um, at a more macro organizational level. But when you're talking about interpersonal communication or how you as an individual at work can do something to help with uh, fostering diversity and equity at work, um, I think one um, important thing is to um, a of course call out harm when that is happening. Uh, we've spoken of microaggressions before and microaggression, of course, is something that's very difficult to call out because these are very subtle behaviors and comments that are passed, which often demean the people that they are targeted at. And this is done so in a way that is very unintentional. So there is no um, malicious intent behind the kind of microaggressive comment that is being made. And people don't recognize that this is something that's actually 
causing feelings of exclusion and hindering a sense of belongingness in the person that is being targeted at. So this is something that could, you know, just um, for example, even if you're just having work reassigned from a female to a male colleague and, um, you know, if you are just uh, always having um, so for even something like a man and a woman, uh, when they are involved in a certain conversation where they're expected to clarify a certain topic to a senior, and the man is being asked to clarify it, where clearly the woman is the subject matter expert. That is also something that is a microaggression, which is something that they may not realize when the question is simply asked to the man instead. And or further explanation is asked uh, of the man instead of the woman. So that is also a form of microaggression and it's difficult to call out. And also um, something like women always being talked over even before they finish their statements at meetings, they're being talked over and interrupted consistently. This is also something that invalidates their importance or invalidates their presence in so organizational settings. Microaggression. Behaviors that also say, even when women are calling out certain behaviors as harmful, you gaslight them. You tell them that, hey, this is something that was only said as a joke please don't be so emotional about it please don't be so sensitive about it or this is not actually sexist that person behaves that way with everyone so this again is something that is microaggressive so firstly you need to call out microaggressive behavior when you see it that of course requires you to educate yourself about this being an ally also means constantly learning and educating yourself to keep yourself informed about when you see red flags so you are able to call them out and also when you are calling out these red flags make sure again that you don't um, fall into the trap of a savior mentality where you say hey you should not have said this to Sneha you should not have said this to uh, xyz you know it, it, that's not okay you can always say that um, I'm not very comfortable with what you just said hey um, can we talk about this I was not very comfortable with what you just said so it draws attention to why the issue in itself was problematic and why you as a person is someone who thought that was problematic instead of mm, making the narrative about how you have to speak on behalf of the person who is on the receiving end of the microaggression because you assume they cannot speak for themselves. That might not be your intention, but it's important to also recognize the distinction between intention and impact and how the former is not necessarily something that overrides the latter in importance. So um, yeah, that. So calling out harm when you see it, that is something that you become capable of by exposing yourself to knowledge about the kind of harm that can erupt or emerge in your workplace. And secondly, showing public support when harm is being pointed out. So this could be someone who is personally experiencing some kind of problem and uh, they point it out. It's really important to plus one to that, you know, I support you and I agree that this is something which was not okay, you know, or just saying something as simple as I actually agree with them is something that will go a long way in encouraging people to come come forward and talk about instances where they felt like they were excluded and to really this really helps the organization as a whole because it lets the people know that this is a problem 
and it also encourages people to point out problems when they see it therefore in the longer run helping to make amends uh, and helping to do so in a timely fashion so uh, that's important i think this is something i experienced personally when um, we've all heard about ableist language how uh, we flippantly throw around uh, terms which are used to describe physical uh, disabilities uh, and these are flung around as insults or they are just used without understanding the kind of repercussion that it can have or what it means for people who actually live with that disability so if there is someone who has um, you know who's been having mood swings or who's just uh, who was just happy a few minutes ago and now suddenly is extremely infuriated and then you use the term bipolar to describe them or when someone's extremely particular about organization of their workspace or uh, the place that they stay at and they use OCD to describe how they feel about these situations. So I could recall, uh, I know there have been times when I've told people that, hey, maybe don't use OCD because it trivializes the condition. And I have had people tell me that I need to really calm down a little because this is not something that, I mean, it's okay, everybody does it. <laughs> I don't. Nobody told me to calm down, but they told me that, you know, it's okay, people do that. But this is something that discouraged me from really bringing it up, you know. And I remember this one time, another friend of mine, so my boyfriend, me, and another friend of mine, we were going somewhere, and he used the term OCD to describe something. And I said, hey, um, yeah, I don't know if I should say this, but you shouldn't have used OCD like that. And what really made me feel very nice was this friend of mine chimed in and she said, yeah, I was actually about to say it too, but uh, I didn't know if I should. But yes, you sh shouldn't use this. And then she proceeded to explain why that's the case. And this is someone who is majoring in psychology, so she knew what she was saying. And it really made me feel supported. And also, I, I think behaviors of this sort encourage allyship in the context of work when you know that other people are going to have your back even when you call out a certain problem and not trivialize that and gaslight you instead that is something that's going to help make workplace better and another thing that i've experienced is inconsistent usage of title so i've seen both men and women show more professional respect to other men and that's not so much the case when it comes to addressing women although they may be holding the same professional position uh, when I and I'm experience, I'm saying this from experience. So this has happened to me on in multiple instances. I remember this one time when I was invited to conduct a workshop on public speaking, and I uh, knew for a fact that I was someone who had uh, better communication skills. Something that I'm not blowing my own horn, but this just was what it was. You could evidently tell when the other person who was also invited started speaking that they were not as comfortable with the language to be in a position to deliver a workshop uh, to others about how to do that well. So, um, and they also didn't have as much experience with these things as I did. So I had relatively more experience, not to say that I had a lot, but I had relatively more experience than the other person who was invited for the same thing. And this other coach who was invited or the other presenter who was invited happened to be a man. And um, credentials were shared 
which participants in the meeting and they knew who had done how much in the field and but even then i found that all the participants referred to the other person as sir whenever they addressed them and i was just called namrata so that is something that really struck and this is something i also experienced during my internship so after a couple of months of having worked at a particular place um there was a shift in my role where i was responsible for handling a small team where i had to conduct weekly meetings and um i was also helped by another person so it was two of us who were responsible for carrying out these tasks of uh conducting team meetings and delegating tasks and making sure that the team was meeting their deadlines things like that and here too while my uh, male colleague was addressed as sir or mr xyz i was always called by my first name so that is something that struck and this is something that um <laughs> through articles online i found that this is something that otherwise also very frequently happens and there actually exist studies which suggest or which prove that when men introduce women they use formal titles only 49 to 50% of the time but when they're introducing other men it jumps up to i don't know 72 or 75% or something and by contrast when you're talking about women they tend to introduce speakers of any gender by formal titles almost all of the time this is what the research says but in so far as my personal experience goes i've seen even women being more professional when they address men so be more consistent in your usage of title and understand that there is a certain bias that is underlying in the way or the level of respect that you accord to uh, the a recipient you know so that is something that also needs to be kept in mind these are a few things that we need to um understand if we want to be better allies at work largely speaking of course the principles that you need to uh keep in mind are that allyship is something which is a constant learning process so you have to constantly keep educating yourself read books on how systemic inequality is something that has manifested in society how this is intergenerational in nature how it doesn't simply go away with simple um one time measures like oh this is reservation you've you've had the benefit of reservation and now you have a little more money so <laughs> your um you know disadvantage is something that has been erased so don't have um, superficial and ignorant notions of this sort it goes away only when you keep yourself more informed immerse yourself in stories of people who have faced different kinds of oppressions or different kinds of disadvantages by virtue of their identities which have always been seen as disparaging attributes of their being and that's something that's important and also be open to listening whenever people do come to you and tell you that something you've done was not okay be open to listening um listening to what's happening around you be active whenever you see something that's not okay uh, around you and be active in bringing that to the person's notice um and also listen to people when they come to you because if you're being an ally it doesn't mean that you have arrived it doesn't mean that you can do no wrong you can do wrong and whenever that is pointed out to you avoid the natural tendency to be defensive and to justify yourself and to justify your intent and how that was not malicious at all of course 
your intent was not to harm this person but understand that impact is important and impact is more important than intent when you're talking about these things so own up take accountability do not deflect responsibility when someone's talking to you about something problematic in your behavior however lastly because of out of fear of saying the wrong thing don't just not do anything at all of course again because allyship is a constant process because you might not have had meaningful relationships with people from different backgrounds in the past it is likely that you might make mistakes keep an open mind understand that you can make mistakes try and keep yourself educated be open to feedback when it's given to you but at the same time do not be mum and do not not do anything about it or do not withdraw yourself from interactions with people from different backgrounds simply because you're afraid that you would offend so because um, this is something that really impacts people's sense of belonging in the workplace and it's necessary for people to have that sense of again what we began with have that ability to cluster have that ability to network and have those people at work that they can actually trust to be vulnerable and open with so and that person that they can trust to be their aid when the need arises so that is someone that you would want to be at work and even if again if you're in a position of leadership make sure that you are creating an organization that uh, makes it easier for people to be allies so even when some problem is being highlighted make sure that you do not simply let the person off the hook with a slap on their wrist because this is someone who otherwise is known to you so don't um, fall into problematic uh, you know like don't behave problematically like that because it definitely discourages people from um, coming up and even flagging problems when they do exist so yes i believe that at the end what becomes clear is that all of us at our individual level regardless of the position that we hold in our organization can and should be allies at work because it just helps make the experience better for career like professional experience better for everyone involved and yes allyship is not it's not the easiest thing it's a constant process but um, everybody can do it yeah